Thank you, Landon and Alex. It's uh, great to have you back. Great to have you worshiping with us today. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you're with us, that you never stop working, even in difficult, scary uh, times where we have no idea what's going on. But Lord, we know that you do. We put our trust in you. We depend upon you. So today, Lord, we cast all of our cares upon you. We ask you, Lord, to be with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our anxiety. We cast it upon you. We trust you, Lord. We need your help. We just cry out to you, Lord, ask you to help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. And uh, I, again, I can't help but say it, but I really miss getting to see all of you guys and, and have missed the opportunity to gather together and worship with you. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, we're getting to do this and getting to spend some time together. And I'm, I'm glad to see you there today. And, and uh, thanks for joining with us. We look forward to it. Look forward to today. And we're, we're going to continue in the series that we've been talking about, Just Like Jesus. And so how, what, what can we do to be just like Jesus. And one of the things we, we notice in the character and nature of Jesus, of course, we receive it, uh, is that Jesus is a forgiver, or that Jesus forgives. And we understand, I mean, we understand that Jesus, you know, made our forgiveness possible because he came as our redemption, as, our, as the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world, that Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven. But we also see in the character of Jesus as he's walking the earth as a man, even on the cross, while, while he was being crucified, he was forgiving those who crucified him. So we see that in Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34. When they came to the place called the skull, that's what the, the hill Golgotha was called, the place of the skull, because if you, you see an old picture, uh, the stones resembled the look of a skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So even while he was being crucified, he forgave those who crucified him. So forgiveness is, you know, of course, a giant theme of the New Testament. We receive forgiveness. Jesus teaches his disciples about forgiveness and how to forgive and the importance of forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, we have this great story that Jesus tells Peter. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. You know, you may not remember everything in your life that you should remember. You may not remember someone's birthday. Uh, this week was Landon's, Perry's birthday. And uh, if you didn't remember and get him a gift, it's okay. <clears throat> but, uh, there, you know, you forget things. You forget an anniversary. Have you ever forgotten an anniversary or a friend's birthday? But the one thing we never forget are the things that people have said and done that hurt us. It's amazing the ability that we have to remember things like that. I, I remember uh, a, he was a, 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 great, a great guy. He was a great guy. The very first time when I was just a young man, 19 years old, the very first time that I got to preach, when I got through preaching, this guy came forward after the sermon and said to me, I don't think you're going to make it. And 
knowing him, I, I got to know him more later. I'd, I'd grown up with him my whole life in the church, and later uh, he was in uh, Austin, Texas, in, a, in another church that I was working in. And I realized that he had a really dry sense of humor and that he was just trying to be funny. And I know that I've you know, said offensive things uh, too many times when I was trying to be funny. But we can remember the insults. Pe- you know, people say something, they call us ugly or fat or say something about our hair or something about, and we remember that. We're so easy for us to remember those things. And so you may not remember the important things, but you'll often remember the hurts. So it's, it's easy for us to count the hurts. So Peter is saying, hey, Lord, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? Should I forgive him like seven times? That's a lot of times, seven times. If my brother sins against me, how many times can I forgive him before I get to punch him in the nose? You know, I mean, what, you know, what's, what's Peter asking here? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus says, hey, Peter, you don't put a number on forgiveness. There's no numerical limit to how many times you're going to forgive. You're going to need to keep forgiving. So to illustrate this story to Peter, he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began, he, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, that's a pretty big debt, 10,000 bags of gold. What this is trying to illustrate to us is this was an unpayable debt. This was a debt that as a servant, if he had worked his whole life, he would never, ever, ever in any way be able to scratch the surface of paying this debt. So that's the purpose of the story. This is an unpayable debt. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So he says, okay, you're going to have to be sold into slavery. You're going to have to pay this debt back. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. His, be patient with me. It's like, really, you know, you can be patient with me. I'll never be able to pay it back. But he's still saying, be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He didn't, you know, he didn't give him a payment plan. He canceled the debt. He completely forgave him of this huge, unpayable debt. So then the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, certainly a payable debt, not an unpayable debt. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. This is the exact same argument that he had made to the king, right? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all your debt of yours because you begged me to. You should have, you shouldn't have, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, which was never. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So 
I think what, one of the things Jesus is saying, don't put a numerical figure on forgiveness because your heavenly father hasn't put a limit on forgiveness for you. Don't just forgive seven times because God hasn't just forgiven you seven times. God has, con- has offered you, in a sense, an unpayable debt has been paid, unlimited forgiveness. Aren't you glad for unlimited forgiveness? But it, so he doesn't limit the forgiveness that he gives us. He doesn't want us to limit our forgiveness. And he says here, this is an interesting verse, verse 35. This is how my heavenly father, this is Jesus teaching. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So is Jesus saying here that by unforgiveness, we can lose our salvation? If, if we don't forgive other people that sin against us, can we then get to a point of being unforgiven? I don't think that's what it says exactly. Think about this. There are no works that can cause us to be worthy to be saved. There's nothing that we can do that causes God to look down and say, oh, there's a good one. I want to save that one. We're none righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. But there are works that accompany salvation. We're not saved by works, but we're saved to works. God has before ordained good works that we should walk in them. So works don't save us, but because we are Christians, we should act like Christians, Christ followers. We should act like Jesus. So some of those, some of those things that are a given, we're, we want to love God with all of our heart. Jesus said very clearly, these are the two things. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. We need to be, be at war with the sins of the flesh. We need to be at war with the things that are destructive in our life. We need to have a Christ-like attitude of humility and grace. And we need to forgive those who wrong us. Basically what he's saying is, you can't lose it if you didn't really have it in the first place. Because if you have it, because you've been forgiven, you will forgive. Because of the nature of being a Christ follower, if you've been forgiven, you will not walk in continual unforgiveness because it's not Christ-like. You will forgive. John Piper says this, if we hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, we will not be forgiven by God. If we continue on in this way, then we'll not go to heaven because heaven is the dwelling place of forgiven people. The reason is not because we can earn or merit heaven by forgiving others, but because holding fast to an unforgiving spirit proves that we do not trust Christ. And you must trust Christ to go to heaven. Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as in Christ God forgave you. So we've been forgiven by God through Christ. How? Well, completely. And he knew that you were going to mess up again. He forgave you and gave you a new life in Christ, even though you were going to fail and falter and mess up and sin and do the same thing, not seven times, not 77 times, 
But over and over again, God gave us incredible grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, through forgiveness. Then Paul says it again to the Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, people who have been called holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, and some of you have been uh, now, you know, uh, quarantined in your house with your family for uh, now almost months, a couple of months, and you probably found that it's not as easy as you thought it would be. Because being in that close proximity for so long often brings out some of the worst parts of our personality, our impatience. Uh, and so we're not as kind and courteous and friendly and loving and gracious and merciful as we should be. And we end up having conflict. So he's saying, if you have a grievance, when you put people together in close proximity, there's going to be grievances. When you put people together, uh, they're not always going to see everything eye to eye. They're not always going to agree. Uh, anywhere you have people, you have people problems, you have people conflict. Uh, it's just the reality. You have it in your family, you have it in your church, you can have it at work. Uh, there's no environment where you can take away the element of what it's, what involves to have people in the mix. People in the mix cause conflict. So Paul says, because of that, if you have a grievance with one another, be compassionate, forgive each other, care about each other, show forgiveness to each other. So how do we do that? So that sounds easy. So how do we forgive each other? Because, you know, sometimes it's easier to not forgive than it is to forgive because I don't feel like it. You ever not feel like forgiving someone you, like you want to stay angry at them? So how do we deal with this? If my feelings tell me to not forgive and to hold unforgiveness in my heart, but Christ has commanded that I forgive, then I have to surrender my will to his will and my feelings to his commands. So I have to, I have to place a higher authority on what Jesus says than what I feel. What I feel is that I want to stay angry. What I feel is that I want to I want to stay, I want to have that unforgiveness in my heart. I want to hold on to it. But there's something higher that calls me, and that is obedience to Christ. He calls me, not, not with these heavy, heavy, not with heavy handedness, but with his love, he draws me to himself because he wants me to be like him. So here's a couple of things that we can do. Number one, resist thoughts of revenge. You want to resist thoughts of revenge. And why? Well, Paul told the Romans in chapter 12, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's saying, don't try to get revenge. Don't try to get even. Don't try to get someone back. Let go of it and put that in the hands of God. Trust God to do that. Trust God to get even. The second thing is don't seek to do harm either by word or by deed. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And so you have to be careful. You can hurt people both by word and by deed. 
You can do things that are harmful to people, and you can say things that harm people's reputation. You can harm, harm who they, you know, what people think about them. Uh, so you want to be careful of what you say in word or deed. You don't want to take revenge. You don't want to try to get even with them. You don't seek to do them harm. And here's the, here's the hard part. Here's where we have to start trusting God. You have to wish them well. You want to wish them well. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. He says, not only don't seek to do them harm, but instead hope good for them. Hope for blessings for them. And even, even beyond that, number four, grieve their calamities. Proverbs 24, 17 says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. You know, it's hard. It's hard to resist that. Someone who's hurt you and someone who hurt your feelings. Someone said something and then somebody hurts their feelings. Like, ha-ha! They're getting getting what's coming to them. But we need to be careful that we're not doing that because God wants us to be gracious like He is. He wants us to be merciful like He is. See, mercy means that God doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace means God gives you what you don't deserve. So we want to be like God. We don't want to give people what they deserve. You know, like we want to give them a piece of our mind. A lot of times we, we, we need to be careful about that because we create, a, we create a, conflict, a conflict, a conflict with our Christianity in doing that. We want to pray for them. Jesus again said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be your children, you may be children of your Father in heaven. He said, if you pray for your enemies, then you're like God. When did God love you? Did he wait till you were got good to love you? The Bible says that well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in our worst possible state of rebellion and ignorance to God, God loved us for God so loved the world. God loved us before we loved him. The reason we love God is because he loved us first. So in the same way, we want to be like God. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemies And I want you to pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God wants you to pray for those that are your enemies and that have hurt you. It's hard to retain unforgiveness for people that you are consistently praying for. So that's one of the tools that God wants to use to help you break the stronghold of unforgiveness in your heart. The number six, we should seek reconciliation. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23. He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. And as Paul said in Romans 12, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So Paul says, listen, if you can reconcile with someone, reconcile with someone. Now, the reality is reconciliation always takes at least two people. You can't have true reconciliation if only one person is, is willing to be reconciled. So Paul is saying, listen, do your part. You can't determine how the other person will act. Will act. You can't determine how the other person will respond. You can't how 
you can't determine how they're going to reconcile and how friendly they're going to be, but you can do your part. And he's saying, okay, leave it to God, trust God, do what you can do, do your part. You can't do their part, but you can do your part. Now, here's a couple of things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not take away the consequences of the action. We see this in the life of David. We've, uh, several months ago, we talked through and went through the study of the life of David. We're going back into the life of David in the coming weeks. And in the life of David, he sins with Bathsheba and creates a great sin against God and the nation of Israel, his family. It's horrendous. And we see that God pursues him and forgives him. He sends the prophet Nathan to confront him. He confronts him. He repents and he restores him. He's forgiven, but the consequences remain. There are consequences that then become a ripple throughout his life because of this great sin in his life. The sin is forgiven. He's forgiven totally and completely. His relationship with God is restored, but you can't stop the consequences. If if someone steals $10,000 from you, you can forgive them and still call the cops. It's not unforgiveness for them to not suffer the consequences of their actions. Forgiveness is what's happening in your heart. They're still legally responsible before the law. Now, you could choose not to. Forgiveness does not bind you to not cause the consequences to fall upon them. What if you found out that someone had molested your children? The Bible calls for us to work through that and to forgive that person. But forgiveness doesn't mean that those people don't face the consequences of their actions. So we need to always remember that. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And number two, forgiveness of an unrepentant person looks different than a repentant person. When, when a repentant person, excuse me, uh, asks for forgiveness, it looks different. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. That's always hard to do, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that a tough thing to do when someone offends you or does something that you feel like needs to be corrected? It, it's, it's so hard to do this biblically, go to that individual. We would much rather go to other people around that person and say, hey, don't you think they're doing such as they shouldn't be doing that? Until we get a consensus of, of opinion and then go to that person and say, hey, I've been talking to everybody and everybody thinks you're being a jerk. That's not the way the Bible says to do it. The Bible says you need to individually go to that person, and that's very difficult to do. But that's what we need to do. We need to learn how to do that in the church. We need to learn how to not talk about each other. We need to learn how to lovingly confront each other. And we need to learn how to lovingly receive with humility confrontation. We need to learn how to receive correction because we all need it. We're not perfect. We all have blind spots and we need people in our lives who will tell us the truth. Sometimes your greatest breakthrough is just just one step away from you responding correctly to being told the truth. You know, you can always respond incorrectly to being told the truth. You can argue and fight 
and complain and reject it, or you can receive it and learn from it. And so we want to be the kind of people who are helping people in their repentance. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they don't listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You can see he's saying, if a person repents, what's the goal? Restoration. If they don't repent, the relationship is not going to be the same. You don't have to have animosity towards them. You don't have to have anger towards them. But the relationship is changed because the person has shown to be unteachable. And so Jesus said that relationship is going to be different because of their unwillingness to learn and receive. Your unwillingness to change will often kill relationships. Your unwillingness to learn will often bring damage to relationships. Now, the third thing is, if someone's wronged me, I'm not bound to trust them, but I'm commanded to forgive them. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the metal worker did me great harm, a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. So Paul is saying, listen, hey guys, I want you all to watch out for Alexander. He cannot be trusted. He did me harm, and he will probably do you harm. But he wasn't holding bitterness in his heart. He said, you know, I've given that to God. The Lord's going to repay him. God's going to get him for it. It's not my job. It's not my job. So there's a difference between forgiveness and trust, and we see this in the, particularly in the life of Joseph. Great story how Joseph uh, didn't trust his brothers, but he had already forgiven his brothers. Unforgiveness holds us in bondage. Forgiveness helps us to set ourselves free and set other people free. So we want to learn to free people. Sometimes we have to give people a season to restore trust. Trust is earned. You can lose trust by doing something stupid. You can gain it back by being honorable and faithful, showing integrity. You can rebuild what was lost. Unforgiveness, here's the reality, here's the bottom line. Unforgiveness hurts you. I'm sure you've heard this, it's not new to me. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't hurt them, it hurts you. So often we're holding things and we're letting bitterness and unforgiveness hold us in the bondage of things that have happened in the past. And so things that have happened in the past are keeping us from fully realizing our potential in the present. Things that have happened in the past are keeping us from, from having the freedom that Jesus died to give us. Jesus died to make you free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. He wants you to be free from the unforgiveness of events in the past. It doesn't mean they're gone. It doesn't mean they're forgotten. It doesn't mean that the consequences for those things should, be, should not take place. But it means that God wants your heart to be free. He wants you to be able, be able to forgive. The scripture says, from the heart. He wants your heart to be free so you can be free in him. And how do we do it? Well, we do it with the strength that he gives. We do it with the strength that comes from him. 
And so we depend upon him. So let's just close in prayer and ask the Lord to help us. Probably every one of us have people in our lives that have hurt us, wronged us, and have caused damage to our soul. And I want to challenge you, if that's, if that's happened to you, I want to challenge you to let the Lord help you heal from that. I want, I want to challenge you to let the Lord help you let that go, to let go of the unforgiveness that is not hurting them, but it's hurting you. It's not damaging them, but it's damaging you. It's keeping you from receiving all that God wants you to receive in this moment because the events of the past are controlling you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help us let go of the pains of the past that are, that are causing us pain in the present, that we can let go of that unforgiveness that is poisoning our heart, that we could instead walk in mercy and forgiveness and grace and kindness, that the kindness of the Lord would fill our hearts. And Lord, we, we ask that your healing would heal our hearts. We need healing for those past hurts, the past pain, the things that we have allowed and we have given them too much authority in our life. And Lord, we don't want them to be the authority in our life. We want you to be the authority in our life. And so Lord, help us. We ask you in the name of Jesus to release these things by your power, and by your spirit, as we stand in obedience, joyful obedience to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining with us today. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to see you again, give you a big hug, and thanks for joining with us this morning. God bless.